Let's look at God's Word and the story that you'd have looked at recently. Um, we're going to go to Luke 24 and we're going to look at the resurrection again. I had the privilege of uh, having two Easter's this year because we celebrated Easter in the UK and then two days afterwards we got on a plane and went to Cairo. We're wanting to um, start a church there. Uh, We've got people there already. We need a team, so please be praying for that. Um, But of course, in the Orthodox and Coptic tradition, Easter comes later. Um, So that Sunday was Easter as well. So we had a chance to celebrate the resurrection on two Sundays. Um, On on that second Sunday, we went to the biggest evangelical church in Cairo and celebrated Christ's resurrection uh, with over 1,500 people. Um, The majority of those are all Christian background because of Christian community in Cairo, but it was wonderful praising Jesus, his resurrection in Arabic. Um, So uh, I want us to look again at the resurrection. There's some things that uh, I believe God wants to speak to us about and help us with. Just to say what's happened so far, because we're going to go from towards the end of the chapter, Um, it's the resurrection morning. Of course, the the story begins with the disciples not knowing that. Some of the ladies go to the tomb. The body's not there. Uh, Mary gets to see Jesus. A couple of the other disciples, when they hear that the body's not there, they run to go and see if it's true. Um, They don't see Jesus, but they realize the body's gone. Then, while that's going on, two of Jesus' followers are walking away from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. They're downhearted. They're depressed. They're thinking, what's happened? We followed Jesus. He's now been crucified. Um, And you get this amazing story where Jesus appears to them, but they don't recognize him. Um, And it's meant to be a little bit humorous, because they turn to Jesus when he asks them what's wrong, and say, are you the only one in the city that doesn't know what's happened? Of course, what they don't realize is Jesus is the only one who does know what's happened. And Jesus still hides from them. Um, And then eventually, they uh, arrive at where they're staying, invite Jesus in, and Jesus breaks bread. And as he breaks bread, because they've seen him do that before, their eyes are opened and they realize it's him. And then he disappears. Why does he disappear? Um, and, and in the story we're going to read, he suddenly reappears. Because Jesus has been raised to life again, but not with a body that was the same as the old body. This is the new creation. This is the resurrection. And Jesus will say to his disciples in the reading that we're about to read, look, I'm really, I'm alive. You can touch me. I can eat. Give me some food. But he can appear and reappear. And what that points to is he's saying to his disciples, look, I've not just been raised to life to die again. This is eternal life. This, this is what it looks like. I'm not bound by the laws of physics anymore. I'm not bound or contained by what makes this world work. This is resurrection life. So he could just disappear from those guys, conveying to them something supernatural is really going on. Not just supernatural that he's alive, but supernatural with a new life. You understand? He's not just doing magic tricks, saying, look, this is the resurrection body now. I can come and go as I like. I'm not contained by walls and physics. The atoms and particles are working differently now. It's still me. I can still eat. That all works. But there's other things that can happen as well. And those two followers decide they're going to run back to Jerusalem that night to tell the disciples they've seen him. He really is alive. And that's where we pick the story up in verse 36. So all of that's going on. The disciples are in a locked room. These two, they've had the women say, one of the women say, we've seen him. They, the others have said the body's not there. Two of the others have just come back 
and say, he was with us. He broke bread, then he disappeared. Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. Don't you just love the English? So terribly middle class. Didn't realize Luke was like that. They were startled and frightened. Listen, they weren't, it wasn't just startled and frightened. Are you ready? It was more, ah! I did warn you. I did that once without warning people. I scared half the people to death. We need to do some resurrection in the room. Seriously, guys, that's what it would have been like. The doors are locked. The room's crowded. They're trying to work out what's happened. Have the Romans taken the body? Did you, maybe you saw something, but perhaps it was just his spirit because their worldview was they believed in a spirit or a person having an angel. So they think, yeah, you did see something, but it wasn't him physically alive. That's why Jesus will go on and say, you can touch me. I'm not an angel. I'm not a spirit. So that's what they were talking about. That's why they weren't celebrating, oh, he must be alive. Because we so often read this from the perspective of, oh, yeah, we know he's alive. Of course he's alive. They didn't know that. It scared the life out of them. The door's locked. They're discussing it, and suddenly Jesus is just standing there and says, peace, everyone. What do you mean, peace? You're dead. What do you mean, just be peaceful? They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? (laughs) Jesus really wants to make the point. Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, my feet. It really is me. Touch me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still, listen to this, this is lovely. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. They're still trying to struggle this. Their emotions are everywhere. Maybe there's laughter. Maybe there's tears. Maybe they're trying to work everything out. But we, we thought, we believed in spirits, but you're not a spirit. And now you are alive. How's this happened? And we're just thrilled you're alive. This is fantastic. We've left everything to follow you. What we've been talking about for the last two days is what we're going to do now. Are the authorities going to come through? Oh, you're alive. This is amazing. I'm going to worry about that. Everything's going to be all right. How are you alive? All of this would have been going on in the room, all at once. And he said, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence to show he's real. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. We'll stop there. But he goes on, opens up the scriptures, and shows them, and says, look, this passage here. You know, when Moses is doing this, that points to me. This story, that points to me. The things Isaiah said, that points to me. When Isaiah wrote about one being tortured, one that God would turn his face against, that's me. Again and again, he'd have said, this, all of this, you see, it points to me. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful Bible study to sit in? You wouldn't be sitting there waiting for that one to finish. As you're looking at him and hearing Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, I said, it's you, it's you. We thought you were the one, but now the whole book points to you. And Stuart introduced the meeting as he does so regularly. It's all about Jesus here. That's because the whole world's all about Jesus. The whole story's all about Jesus. It doesn't work without Jesus. We have no faith without Jesus. We have nothing to stand on without Jesus. And it was in this moment that the disciples are beginning to understand it. But what I want us to do is just to look at that greeting of Jesus where he says peace, shalom. That's the word in the original language. 
It's a word that's used a lot in the Bible. Um, it means wholeness. It means well-being. It means completeness. It means uh, health, uh, strength. Um, instead of sickness, there's healing. It mean, all of that. When you say shalom, it means the, the goodness of God, everything good. And greetings are very, very important in the East. They still are today. And people would still say the equivalent. Um, but in, in both in Islam and in Christianity and in Judaism, they would all greet one another with peace. Different word for it, but it all means the same thing. And greetings are ever so important. I mean, here in the West, it's just kind of, I've greeted some of you this morning, and it's been fine. We're just, hi, good to see you again. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Great. And that's been it. Because that's all we do. We once had an Arabic-speaking man in one of our conferences speak for 30 minutes about how an Arabic greeting works and how important it is and all the things you need to say to one another. He spoke for 30 minutes on saying hello. I mean, I, I don't know. We can maybe manage 30 seconds. You can say hello. You can say hi. Um, you can say you're all right. Um, you can say in response, yeah, great, praise the Lord. If you're Christian, feeling particularly good. Um, and that's it. I'm, I'm out of things. He spoke for 30 minutes. And he still hasn't finished. Greetings are really important. But here's the thing. On lots of occasions, Jesus would have said, Shalom. On lots of occasions, he'd have greeted his disciples with peace. On lots of occasions, he'd have greeted the crowds with that. Because it's what you do. So why does Luke write it here? Just for fun? Because they're all scared witless. And Jesus says, peace, it's me. Just be peaceful. No, it's far more than that. Jesus isn't just bringing a greeting. He's making a statement of the reality of what has just happened. Because of my death, because of my resurrection, because I'm alive again and death could not hold me, because I've come out of the ground, because all of these scriptures point to me, because of everything that happened in the world with sin and evil and wickedness, and that's what put me on the cross, and that death could not stop me from coming alive again and breathing again, because now this is a resurrected body, it can eat It can be touched, but it's very different from your body. Peace. Shalom. Jesus is making a statement of how the world now is for those who put their faith in Jesus. He's making a statement of what he has done and what he has achieved. He's making a statement on that first morning, that resurrection of what his followers can now experience. Your hearts are full of fear your hearts are full of uncertainty, your hearts are full of disappointment because of everything that's happened, everything you thought that Jesus was going to achieve and do. But instead of fear, disappointment, pain, feeling lost, feeling confused, Jesus says, shalom. And Jesus would say that to real life church this morning. And Jesus would say that every morning. You see, followers of Jesus are supposed to be those, because of Jesus' resurrection, who can greet one another with shalom peace. Not just as a how you're doing, not just as a high five, handshake, whatever else you want to do, but as a statement of how we're meant to live. And yet you and I both know that our hearts can still be gripped by anxiety, we can still be gripped by fear, we can still have times of confusion and pain when we wonder what God is doing in our lives, or when we put on the news and see some news stories, or some things kick off at work, or some other difficult circumstances happen. And shalom isn't what's going on in here. Fear, confusion, disappointment, and pain is what's going on in here. But the reality of the resurrection is the first thing Jesus said was shalom, wholeness. This is meant to be the community of shalom, of peace and wholeness. If people in Sutton Coalfield are looking for peace, 
in a world which is falling apart and painful and uncertainty and politics is getting more and more difficult and which voices do you believe and fake news and stuff that goes on and how on earth do you know the truth anymore and economics are in all kinds of difficulty all right, you don't need me to list it there's not time I need to move on in the story but just in our news or in our social media feed there's all kinds of stuff that will send our minds if not into turmoil at least into doubt and difficulty and it can be so hard to begin our day with shalom it's even harder to finish our day with shalom but Jesus rose again not simply that you can know peace when he comes again but so that you can know it today this is the reality of the resurrection and the story of the resurrection shows us how some of this peace has come about <clears throat> this is happening on the first day of the week the women or Mary found Jesus in the garden the tomb was in the garden the story our story the story of scripture begins in a garden there are deliberate echoes of Eden the Garden of Eden and what went wrong in the crucifixion and resurrection story there's echoes there's things that happen you think hang on a minute that's taking us back to something we're pointing back to something so at the beginning of scripture where the Bible starts in Genesis it says God made everything and it was good it was Shalom the word isn't used there but that's what it means perfect you could look around at all of creation and you wouldn't find anything wrong before Adam and Eve messed up it was Shalom it was beautiful there was there wasn't sickness there wasn't death there wasn't war there wasn't anxiety worry confusion you'd go for a walk in the garden with God the Creator talking with him there was shalom between us and God, relationship, closeness, intimacy. There was shalom in creation. There weren't floods, earthquakes, and storms. None of these things were happening. Everything was at unity, working as God designed it. Shalom. But God put some boundaries and frameworks in place. He said, Adam and Eve, all of this is for you. You're made in my image. You can rule over this like I will rule. You can multiply over all of this and love like I love because you're made in my image. You can feel, laugh, cry, all of this because you're made to be like me and I've given you this because of love I live in community God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit and now you you're in my family now you can rule over all of this it's all yours this is one tree you can't have the fruit of it's that one because God just wanted a boundary we've been given free will and free will only works if there's some things you can't do so don't have that one all the other trees you can have you can have that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree. You can have this tree, this tree, this tree. I've got to finish them, but I want to get the point. This tree, this tree, this tree, this tree, this tree. And that's just that wood. Beyond that is a forest. All of those you can have. Down there is a hut. And eventually, when you discover it in another country, it's covered in trees. You can have all of those. I just don't want you to have that one. Because if you eat the fruit of that one, or more importantly, if you disobey me and don't follow my ways, this all breaks. That's what's really going on. You think, what's the big deal about a piece of fruit? It's not the piece of fruit, it's everything it represented. It's God saying, all of this is for you. You're made in my image, follow me, do this my way, and it will be blessing, shalom, peace, be wonderful. Go that way, and you'll die. Death and decay will come. And of course, many of us will know the story. Satan comes, disguised as a snake, and starts testing them and saying, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? And in the end, 
Adam kind of goes along with it and lets his wife, Eve, take the lead and say, well, let, let's just try it. <laughs> What's the big deal? God said we can't have it, but let's have it. Hang on, you can have all of those, but I want this one. Isn't it amazing what the human heart's like? Every single one of you know what I'm talking about. If anyone says to you, you can't do that, the first thing you want to do is, why not? It's a tree. That's important. Sin started with a fruit from a tree. It's one of the echoes. And Eve takes the fruit. And immediately their eyes are opened. They know what they've done is wrong. And they feel shame. And they get some fig trees to cover up. They were naked until then. Now this bit is really hard for us to imagine. The reason, and I know we're all grateful we're all wearing clothes, but the reason why we all did put clothes on, and some of us spent ages thinking about it, and clearly others of us didn't, we just, <laughs> we just picked up what was there. But others of you, and it's true in every church, right? It's nothing personal about real life here. Although a few of you started looking at each other. See, I told you. I told you he'd notice. I, I knew someone would say, it's obvious you've worn that for three days. Why did you put that on again? All right, sort that out later. All right, shalom. <laughs> Peace. But the reason we do all of this is because of shame. That wasn't there before. Imagine that. So powerful, actually. I know it's a hard thing to think about because it's so weird for us. And almost unclean and dirty. That's the point. Why do we feel unclean and dirty? About Even as I begin to talk about this on a preach on a Sunday. Because that's what happened when they had the fruit. So they hid and put on plants. And God arrives. Where are you? Why are you hiding? And realizes they've eaten the fruit. And God gives them skin, um, clothes to wear made from an animal skin. Death has come. An animal had to be killed in order that Adam and Eve's shame could be covered. Remember the clothes, it's an echo. Remember death, someone dying so that shame could be taken, it's an echo. And then God says to them, because of what you've done, says to the snake and, and to them, Everything is cursed now. The ground, it was going to be fruitful for you, but now it will produce thorns. There's a, there's a curse. Everything is cursed. Because of what you've done, because you ate this fruit, the fruit from the tree, everything is now cursed. And as the story unfolds, the curse gets stronger and stronger. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see the theme of curse happening again and again and again. Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's children, brothers, Cain kills Abel in a fit of rage and jealousy. And one of the things God says to Cain is, you're cursed. It's the curse of death. The curse of sin. So at some point we understand this. It's cursed. And we go through the story, and even what you see again and again is, yes, people responding in some kind of faith. You get someone like an Abraham, you get a Moses, you get a King David, you get other rulers. Some of them are following God or trying to, but even their lives are flawed. Even they give in to the curse at times. Abraham does it. He's held up as a near hero of faith, but the curse is still working. There's times of disobedience in his life. David, the same. Moses never went into the promised land because there was a time he didn't, he didn't disobey God. And although these people are heroes among those that were totally rebelling, you still see the curse. In Deuteronomy 28, God sets it out clearly for his people, Israel, and says a bit like Although it's not spelt out like this in the story of the garden, it's the same kind of thing. Follow me and there's blessing. Obey these laws. In the garden, it was one law. Now it's become many. Obey these, blessing, blessing, blessing. 
Blessing on your family, blessing on your children, blessing on your land, blessing on your household. Disobey me, go against it, and the ground is cursed, the land is cursed, your family is cursed. You won't prosper, there is poverty. I set before you, says God, literally says this, a choice. This is his covenant people. It's rescued them from Egypt. It's like he's starting again. And he says, you can go this way and there's blessing. Or you can go this way and there's curse. And as I said, as the story unfolds, you see, whenever God's people turn away, there's curse, there's curse, there's curse because of their choice. Are you with me? Let's fast forward. So we've gone from the garden, briefly talked about curse. Let's get to the the story we're on and Jesus' death. What do they put on his head? Crown of thorns. Why thorns? Because of the garden. Now we think it's torture and everything else. Yeah, it was. It was primarily they were mocking him and saying he's a king. He calls himself the king of the Jews. Give him a crown. It's not an accident, it's thorns. Because Jesus is breaking the curse. The reason why Jesus can say peace and shalom to you today is because the curse has been broken. That what happened in the garden where all of creation is cursed, and that curse continues to grow and grow and grow, sin and evil and wickedness. Jesus Christ has broken the curse. We are no longer under the curse anymore. Our lives aren't just giving in to fate. It's not that we can just keep on sinning. It's not that we're just destined for bad stuff to happen because of the curse. Jesus has set you free from the curse. This is the message of the gospel. If you've never heard it put this way before, and always thought that the gospel was about church or rules or regulations, it isn't. It's about Adam and Eve, humankind, turned away from God. And if you do that, there's huge consequences. It's death, sickness, decay. Everything goes wrong. And Jesus came in order to break the curse. That's why he's wearing the crown of thorns. That's why he's buried in the ground. The ground will bear forth thorns. Jesus coming on and off. Jesus wears a crown of thorns and is buried in the ground. The curse is broken. Shalom. At this point, it would be really helpful if some of you grinned a lot more. I'm serious. You're not going to hear anything better today. The curse is broken. You're free from the curse. Jesus hung on a tree. Why a tree? In the garden, they sinned with fruit from a tree. So Jesus goes to the tree in order to break the curse. Paul says in Galatians 3, I think it is. Um, it's in my notes, but I've completely off track now. There's no point in trying to find it. Paul says in the garden, uh, Paul says in Galatians, cursed is he who dies on the tree, because that's from the Old Testament. Jesus has broken the curse, bore the curse for us. Crown of thorns, and crucified on a tree. When they go to the resurrection morning, staying with this theme of echoes, when they get to the tomb, what do they see inside? Now, some of them see an angel, but others see his clothes. That's interesting. Why has Jesus left his clothes there? Now, it's the death shroud, the burial shroud, but it's what he was clothed in. And the, the gospel writers say Jesus' clothes were there. It's partly to show he's alive. Because if they nick the body, they take the clothes. But it's also an echo. Back in the garden, because of shame, because of sin, because of turning from God, there is shame. Oh, 
I can't be naked before God. I've sinned. I'm dirty. I'm unclean. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and because of his resurrection, Jesus can remove clothes because there's no more shame. Shame is taken. Shame is dealt with. There's no more dirt. There's no more uncleanness. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, it's like the clothes of shame are removed and you are made pure. Every single one of you, whatever your story has been, whatever things you have done, whatever thoughts you have had, whatever acts you have committed, whatever has gone on in your past, whatever, if you, if was put, broadcast on social media in this moment and everyone in the church knew and you would feel, I just need to get out of here, I feel so shamed, God wouldn't be asking you to leave. He'd be the one chasing after you to say, but you're clean, washed, made clean. Because in the resurrection, clothing is removed. In the garden, in the fall, as theologians call it, when there was sin, when there was rebellion, clothing is put on. In the garden, an animal has to die to make those clothes. In the crucifixion, Jesus dies, the ultimate sacrifice, to end all sacrifices. He gives his life in order that we can be clothed with righteousness, with his clothes. In the garden, an animal dies, don't know which one it is, an animal dies in order to give its skin, its clothes, to Adam and Eve to cover their shame. In the crucifixion story, Jesus, the spotless lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, dies in order to give what he wears, righteousness, so that you can be covered in righteousness. You're washed. You're clean. It's not just if we take layers off you, we'll find something filthy. It's not if people really, really knew you, they'd see the sin. Now, God does really, really know you. And he sees his son's righteousness. Yeah, he knows you, you had a, a moment of temper this week and anger. He knows some of you look lustfully at someone else. He knows some of you are struggling to live ethically in your workplace and giving in to pressures. He knows all of that. But you put your faith in Jesus, and right at the heart of it is righteousness. And the whole point is, is that he then empowers us. I'll come on to this in a minute, but I need to say it now. He then empowers us then to live differently. But we can't live differently until we understand that inside here is clean. You're not just someone forgiven who's trying harder. No, you're totally new now. There are echoes all the way through as to why Jesus can say peace and shalom. Because in the, resurrection, in the death and resurrection story, there are reference points to where it all went wrong. And Jesus wants his followers and his church to know that the resurrection really does change everything for you. And that shalom isn't just a greeting, it's a statement of what has happened. Let's just see where we're up to. Oh yeah. So what else was in the tomb? So the clothes and the angels, heavenly creatures. We see those in the Garden of Eden. Because when Adam and Eve are banished, when they're told to leave God's presence, and they're cursed and have to go, there are heavenly creatures who guard the entrance to Eden. It tells us that in the story, that God puts heavenly creatures, calls them cherubim there. I don't know what the difference is between cherubim and angels. I mean, you can look at it, there's a difference in their description, but all I want you to get is there's heavenly creatures who are now banning Adam and Eve from coming to the place where God lives. 
back then, God was living in the garden. It's like a temple. It's pure, perfect. And they can't come in because they're dirty. They can't come in because they've rebelled. They can't come in because they're cursed. And there's cherubim, heavenly creatures, keeping them from coming in. In the story of the resurrection, there are heavenly creatures who say this. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's a stunning statement. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Well, Mr. Angel, because he's dead. No, you didn't listen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then just after that, Mary gets to see Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener, and then she realizes he isn't, and she comes close. See, heavenly creatures, there's an echo of when we were banned, and they're now saying he's alive, and now we can come close. There's no shame. We're made clean. The curse has been lifted, and now we can come right into God's presence again. We can't go into Eden. That was right the way back at the beginning, because God now lives here, the church, the new community. This is the temple. This is where God lives, because you're clean, because you're made pure. And the angels are standing there to give testimony to the fact everything has changed. They're an echo of when angels, cherubim, heavenly creatures were outside Eden blocking people from going back in. Now nothing blocks you from going in. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have access to the presence of God. That's why we gather. That's what this is, because God is here. And the biggest echo, as I referred to at the beginning, of all of this is happening in the garden. Sin, curse, death, destruction, sickness, disease, creation being cursed, happened in the garden. Jesus' resurrection and where the disciples first get to understand he's alive, and where the women first hear it, and where Mary first sees him, is in the garden. It was in the garden where a woman ate the fruit, and the guy wasn't there in responsibility. In the Easter story, on the resurrection morning, the guys aren't there, the women are, and it's a woman who first hears that Jesus is alive. It's a woman who first hears, first sees him. It's a woman who hears her name called. In the garden, it's a woman who takes the fruit. And it's Adam who's nowhere to be seen stopping it. And curse comes. On the resurrection story, we're back in the garden, and it's a woman. And Jesus says, Mary. Because everything is being put right. Shalom, wholeness, peace is coming. The curse is broken. Shame is taken righteousness is coming and we get to be included again so Jesus calls her name in the garden and the biggest thing of all is because this is new creation what Jesus and the gospel writers want us to understand is why they're echoes of creation why they're echoes of the beginning because Jesus is starting again new creation life is what's raised Jesus to life again he's never going to die he's a foretaste having it now of the of the new creation of new life of life which isn't subject to death and decay and sickness anymore Jesus is alive with resurrection life in the garden and all of this points to the fact that one day he will come again and in that day death will be destroyed once and for all sickness will go all our tears will be wiped away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth but the news of the gospel is it started already on that morning and the news of the gospel you can read this in Ephesians 1 I'm running out of time we can't turn to it 
But the news is that Paul says this same resurrection life is what's alive in the church today. This resurrection life is what woke you up from death when you put your faith into Jesus Christ. This resurrection life is what poured into your heart when you turned away from living how you wanted and coming to Jesus. You may have just done it in an emotional moment. It was real and you knew God loved you and you were making an intellectual decision to come to him. But the Bible says it was the resurrection power of God that brought brought you alive in Jesus Christ. You may have done it in a moment of prayer, quietly in your room. You may have responded on an alpha course. You may have come to the front in a meeting. Whenever it was that you put your faith in Jesus, that was your resurrection. And Paul says in Ephesians 1 that this same power, power that raised Jesus to life, resurrection power, resurrection life, is what's working in your heart today. Shalom, peace, wholeness. It's not peace and wholeness just because of a nice preach where I point out there's echoes from the garden story. It's shalom because this peace, this wholeness is what's alive and work in you today. The church is a community of peace and shalom because Jesus' resurrection life is in our hearts. Amen? That's why Jesus says peace. Not just as a greeting, but because the curse is broken, shame has been dealt with, we're clothed in righteousness, we get included into his presence, and all this happens in the garden as a sign that everything has been broken and there's going to be a new creation. And then later, the disciples, and Paul is the one who writes it down, begin to understand that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's this resurrection life that's at work in us. Shalom, real life. So here's the thing, as we begin to land this and get ready to worship and pray. If you've got fear in your hearts about anything, believe the resurrection. Yeah, we can pray for that, and we will. But why can there be so much fear in the church sometimes? I get it. I get scared. I can tell you all these stories about what God's doing in the Middle East. But I have fear, I have worry, I have anxiety. We've got five children. It gives us plenty to worry about. That no, seriously. I can read news stories and get troubled by them. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Some of you, I just feel prompting to mention this again. I'm not sure why. Some of you have heard us mention this before. We had a baby. The baby died of sickness. There's plenty to get fearful of. Some of you have had similar experiences. You think life's fine, doctors, nurses, medical advances in the West, everyone's safe. Not when you watch the life sucked out of your little baby. I get it. But why is there so much fear in the church? If you're an anxious, someone who's riven with anxiety and and loses sleep over it, can I ask you, believe the resurrection? That's where it starts. Yes, we need to love each other, care for one another. Yes, we need encouragement. Yes, medicine can help us, seriously. But wholeness begins in believing the resurrection. This isn't just a story about the future. This isn't just, oh, Jesus is alive now, seated on the throne. Holy Spirit helps us a bit, and one day everything will be all right. No, it's meant to be a reality now. It's meant to be shalom now. And the shalom means when there is sickness and healing doesn't come, you can still know the peace of God. It's a story for another day, but we live with that in our family. 
got hereditary illness that our boys have got. Affects how they walk, affects their bones. I don't know why Jesus hasn't healed them, prayed enough. Had gifted healing people pray for them and they're not healed. But they're both serving God in Istanbul, in Turkey. Shalom, wholeness. So even when there's disappointment, even when God doesn't answer the prayers in the way that you think he should, even when you pray for wholeness, Jesus, you're alive, you've defeated sickness, now let healing come, and it doesn't happen, there's still peace. There's still peace to be known. You can still walk through pain knowing peace. Isn't that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. I don't know why some are healed and some aren't. I haven't got any secret answers on that one. But I do know the shalom of Jesus. I do know that we're meant to walk with that. Jesus appears to a crowd of his disciples and says shalom. At least half of them are going to be martyred, if not more. Would pay for their testimony of Jesus being alive. Would pay for going around the world saying shalom with their lives. Because we're living between the two worlds. But they went willingly because they had peace. Let's stand. And if the band can come up. I've just applied it to a couple of things because of time. But there's all kinds of ways. But I want us to take this message now. We're going to sing and in a few minutes we'll pray. But there's all kinds of ways that I'd like you now to think and pray while we sing. You can either listen to the band or you can join in. But I really, really need you to respond to this. I haven't preached this just for a great preach. I've come here with a burden that we receive from God this morning because of the truth of His Word. And we're going to pray. Some of you will meet with the Holy Spirit and know some peace coming to you, of course. But first, let's stand on something, shall we? Let's stand. Jesus, you're alive. And this going in my life, I want to know your shalom. Jesus, you're alive. What's going on with my kids? I want to know your shalom. Jesus, you're alive. You've conquered these things. The curse is gone. I want to see this happen at work. Now, some of you might not have anything like that that's going on. You can apply it to, in which case, thank him. Lord, thank you. I know your peace. I worship you for your peace. And you may want to pray for another situation that you know of. Does that make some sense? But please, brothers and sisters, let's land this. This isn't new to us. I know that. I'm not doing this because I think lots of things are broken. I'm doing this because we need to keep reminding us of this. That's all. Because we need to keep coming back to this. Because every message in the world will tell us otherwise. Jesus, thank you so much. Oh, it's not enough to say thank you, but it's all we got. That you have won shalom and peace for us. Now, Holy Spirit, as we sing in the next few minutes, help us to really put this together in our hearts to let this land right into our lives Lord and Lord we'll pray for one another probably but even before that Holy Spirit please just come and win some more victories in us Lord because you have won a reality that is here now and for that we praise you Amen